Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You're tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after show entertainment. <laughs> TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hey there, Doctor Who fans! Welcome back for another episode of Doctor Who Classics here at AfterBuzz TV. We're going to jump in. We're going to be talking about the second half of the War Games, Patrick Troughton's farewell episode. We're sad to see him go. Sad about a lot of things. Um, But before we get started on anything else, I want to talk to you guys real quick. Can I say who I am? Hi. Well, we'll we'll do do it to drugs. I'm your host, Zach Wilson. Over here, Katie Collin joining Hi, me tonight. <laughs> um, but before we get started, I want to talk to you guys real quick about uh, a wonderful sponsor that we have, the Critics' Choice Movie Awards. Do tell. Yes, um, the it's the 20th annual Ooh. Critics' Choice Movie Awards. Uh, it's going to be airing live on Thursday, January 15th so on a Yes, that is tomorrow. I can keep track of dates. I can't. Uh, <laughs> I'm bad at this. Um, but it, it's going to be airing at 9 p.m. on the west on the East Coast, 6 p.m. on the West Coast. It's going to be hosted by Michael Strahan, if you're a football fan. I liked watching Michael Strahan play, so it'll be fun watching him host this show. Um, the awards, this is a different type of award show, because this is an award show by the critics themselves, not the critics like the Hollywood Foreign Press, the journalists. This is the people, the people that you, who actually know something about what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, these are the people you turn to on a weekly basis for your reviews. For like, you're like, I don't know if I want to see that movie. It's see, I'm on the fence. Let me see what they say about it. Oh, okay. Now I know to avoid that pile of trash. It's or, the people who get to put their reviews on Rotten Tomatoes before the public comes in and mucks it up. Exactly. It's the one. It's the number that you care about on Rotten Tomatoes. Exactly. Um, and this is a show that's that's awarding things just based on their opinions, and so that's why the reviews these, these awards are important. Um, it's an intimate award show. It's going to feature plenty of celebrities, not just Michael Strahan, but lots of people that you're going to enjoy seeing. So if you're not a football fan, there still <laughs> might be people you know. Yes, Birdman is leading the pack, nominated 13 times. I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, I had mixed feelings about Birdman, but there's a lot of great things about it. Boot, Grand Budapest Hotel 11, Boyhood, Boyhood Got 8, um... Some of the uh, and some of the people that you can look out for this year at the Critics Choice Movie Awards 
Kevin Costner is getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. Ron Howard is getting the Louis the Thirteenth Genius Award. I'm not exactly. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds really important. <laughs> I mean, Ron Howard's a smart guy. I'll give him a Genius Award. Um, and Jessica Chastain is getting the Critics' Choice MVP Award. Um, so as we said before, that is going to air tomorrow, Thursday, January 15th on A&E, 9 p.m. East Coast, 6 p.m. West Coast. Be sure to tune in. Now, let's talk about Doctor Who. Let's um, get into what we're here for. Yes. Uh, before we get, but again, before we get started, I do have to make a, a somber announcement. Mm-hmm. As we say goodbye to Patrick Trout, and we unfortunately also have to say goodbye for now to the Doctor Who Classics After Show. I am so sad to report, just due to scheduling. You know, at After Buzz, they're doing just about 100 shows a week right now. Isn't it like 110 at this point? I, I Well, I think it's actually at 98. But it's, okay. But with new shows coming and going all the time, scheduling gets really tough, and we're, doing, we're both doing other shows, and it's get really hard to schedule, and unfortunately... For now, with Doctor Who Classics, something we can always come back to. Because we are flexible, we are bowing out for the moment and letting other panels that are on a time frame take the slot. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys so much for watching us. I am excited to talk about this episode of Takeover because I really enjoyed it. But this will be, for now, the beginning of our hiatus. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about The War Games, episodes 6 through 10, the second longest episode ever. Well, I spent last night crying after I was done, so that (laughs) should tell you most of what you need to know. Well, what I think is interesting about this, as opposed to even some of the shorter episodes, like now having gone through the whole thing, it really is one really long story. Oh, yeah. Um, It's not... It's not like two episodes of one story that like pieces together into two more and then a two more that are like three parts of like a bigger story. This is one long tale. It's like I've just sat down and read a 600-page novel. It's it's very complex. And it's not like a lot of other Who serials where I've watched it and said, okay, the first episode was wasted. We could have started with episode two and lost virtually nothing. This was... Every single thing was important. Every episode ended with something that made you immediately want to go on to the next one. It was incredibly well scripted and well acted. Yeah, it was a it was a great episode. It was fun. I was in, I'm on the edge of my seat just trying to figure out what's happening, yeah. how it's going to all work together. Which a lot of these classic episodes should because the story structure that they've in the day was new. It was interesting. It was unheard of. Today has been replicated and redone and used so much times that we're used to them. We're used to the twist that they're using. But this episode, I didn't know what was going to happen. I legitimately was waiting to figure out how it was going to all fall together. Even knowing future Doctor Who, knowing that it's Troughton's last episode, I was like, I don't know how he's going to, like, leave. Like, this is an intriguing story. You didn't really know what was going to happen up until they dropped Time Lords. And you're like, oh, Oh, this will not end well. Yeah. Uh-oh. I only knew it this was going to happen. This will end poorly for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I only knew it was going to happen because of the fact that I, like, just general knowledge of, we like, outside the We know it's a regeneration story. Yes, exactly. So we know, again, that this is not going to end well. But once they're like, oh, yeah, Time Lords, well, we have to call them. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, because Third Doctor spends most of his time stuck on Earth. This is not going to go well. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, um... But uh, let's talk about – I want to talk about the just the the main storyline here, the bulk. Not really what, in a sense, is the epilogue 
of the story, which is when we bring in the Time Lords. Man. But the the main storyline with the War Chief and the Warlord. Well, real quick, before we get too much further into it, if you are on Twitter, we have a hashtag. It's DW Classics. If you want to join in the conversation, I am checking Twitter, Zach's checking the live roll, and we'll bring you in. Yeah. Please, if you guys have any comments, I would love to know what your thoughts on. If you enjoyed this episode, if you hated this episode, I want to know what you think. Why would you hate this episode? <laughs> um, but, anyway, you never know. Some people, well, some people hate good stuff. I liked it. <laughs> it destroyed me, but I liked it. Um, that sums up the entirety of my experience with Doctor Who, I think. <laughs> I, I I liked the introduction of the warlord in this. Like yes. I thought that the casting choice in particular was very interesting. I really liked it. I sort of looked at him, I'm like, this is a little like evil British Steve Jobs man. Yeah, I was expecting him to be some big, bombastic, powerful presence, and he walks in, and instead it's like, oh, this man could kill me with a word, but you wouldn't think it if you saw him on the street. He It reminds me to a point of, like, Lex Luthor. A little, like, yeah. Like, Lex Luthor is not a scary individual. He doesn't, like, have a overlording presence over you, but he could. He is just a psychopath. And this guy, you look at him, you're like, this man is a serial killer. But he is in some ways physically imposing. Lex Luthor is, he's a big guy. Yeah, well, depending on who you're, depending which, on, yeah. which version you're talking about, but he's not like Justice League, yeah, mid nineties. Yeah. That's that's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of the Warlord, yeah. he's not an imposing guy physically, but he has a gaze that you're just like evil Run. Steve Jobs. I think you hit that right on the nose there. <laughs> evil Steve Jobs evil or Steve Jobs. eviler Steve Jobs? No, no we're not going Steve down Jobs. that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> you say as you watch the chat roll on your Mac. <laughs> <laughs> and I sit over here with my droid phone. Yeah, mm. um, with my iPhone. Yeah. Anyway, um, talk about the war games. But yeah, <laughs> um, but he and he has his glasses on, which we know in this. It, I meant to bring glasses so that I could mind control the audience through the cameras. I still love those, and I still love that they brought it back and that it still worked. The the German guy with the monocle. Yeah. I'm still not over him trying to do a southern accent on top of the German accent, which yeah. was one of my favorite ridiculous acting things. That has to be one of the thing. biggest challenges of all time. Okay, be a guy with a German accent, but he's a German guy who's trying to do an American southern accent. Be Okay, pretend to be this dude who is pretending to be this dude. Got it? <laughs> Go. Layers. What? Like an onion. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Look at all the shame I don't have. <laughs> uh, but the the big thing in this episode, and I thought what I thought was made it very interesting, is when you look at when it aired, because it was airing in like the very end of the '60s, obviously a very much a war torn time. We're talking about Vietnam mm-hmm. era. Um, so what we're looking at, especially in this, is the commentary of. This is an unjust war. These are people who are being forced into a war that they that does not actually benefit them. They're not this isn't World War Two, which was only in at the time about twenty five years ago. World War Two was the good fight. It was we are fighting to stop Adolf Hitler, an evil, evil man. We know what we're fighting for. We're fighting for the good cause. Vietnam is, I don't know what I'm fighting for. 
I am being forced to go overseas. I'm being enlisted against my will to go fight a war that does not affect my home country directly. My question is, was there a British presence in Vietnam? Because America was definitely neck deep and sinking in there. And that's how we view it and view the times, because that's very much steeped in our history. Was there a British presence in Vietnam, in Korea, in these wars that America was in that were disastrous? I mean, you know, I'm not going to try to speak to it because I'm going to be talking out of of my behind. Um, But (laughs) I I, definitely nowhere near the American presence if it was there. I know there was some French involvement in Vietnam, but I'm not sure the level of British. But regardless, the world was looking at Vietnam yes. directly. And, like, I mean, you just look at the Beatles. like, And the Beatles yes. are like, this is sort of the tail end of the Beatles. But, like, they're very much active at the time. And all of that stuff is, like, very much in the public eye, no matter where you Communism. are in the world. Yeah. Um, and so it, the issue is there regardless. Um, but the, every every person in every time zone is fighting a war that they're not they, – they, it's not their war. It's not their fight. It's someone else running a game. They're doing a simulation to see if this will work. And if it does, then, hey, we'll brainwash you even further and make us make you our unwilling foot soldiers in a war of conquest. Yeah. Not because a- human beings are the absolute best creatures we can find for this, I suppose. That I thought was a very interesting take on it. I mean, science fiction deals with every version of are human beings the worst or the best of what nature can produce? We are terrible to the environment. We destroy, but we also build. And there's two perspectives on that. I mean, how do you feel about that whole dilemma? Well, the thing is, we're resilient, we can be trained, and we reproduce quickly. If all you're looking for is a bunch of expendable foot soldiers to win you a fight, hey, we're perfect for it. You just have to keep us in line. (laughs) But then there's it's an analysis that came from Animorphs, actually, and that's but, just kind of stayed with me for years. The fact that you could bring up Animorphs. Oh Why God, would I, I not? I love Animorphs. Anyway, I, um, I mean, my, my thought is um, Avenger, the recent Avengers movie, human beings are unruly and therefore cannot be ruled. They're not a good army because we're not a good army because we are too self-thinking. Um, there's some there's some theorists that say that a the best society is one that is ruled by a dictator in mm-hmm. some sense because it control a dictator a, a contr- makes the, the fullest control of a society. But again, we have the brainwashing aspect in play here as well. It's not we put a bunch of humans in a box and let them run free. It's we've convinced them that they are in their own times fighting their own wars. And if anyone starts to suspect anything, we just brainwash them again. And if we want to turn a certain event our way, hey, put the glasses on. (laughs) So this isn't some uncontrolled human society has developed without someone overseeing it experiment. This is very much a... We are going to put their minds in tiny boxes, and if anyone starts to break the box, we're going to shove it back in there. Yeah. So it's the brainwashing is what brings a different element to that argument. And it's interesting when the doctor sort of gathers the, all the resistance resistance people. people together, and you have all these different people. Like you, have, we started. We found was that it, we're Pancho not, Villa there, or was that someone else? They, that wasn't his name, but it was Pancho something. Wasn't basically, it? yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> He was helpful. 
Uh, he was not helpful. Well, but. I mean, he's been fighting. A, he's been fighting a war he doesn't understand yeah. for years, and so he's not. He doesn't want to trust anybody, especially someone when he then when he finds out that the doctor is from the same people as the war chief. Because, like, yeah. I mean, if you were fight, if you found out that your lead, like the person that you're supposed to trust, is somehow connected to the person you're fighting, you have to assume that they are connected and in league together because you don't have any information to suggest yeah. otherwise. Can I just say it was really interesting that the war chief did not regenerate? I guess they huh. hadn't figured out the rules then by that point. Well, we're going to get into the whole that whole thing with the time lords and yeah. the fair and the the doctors I want to do that towards the end because that's a whole big topic. Yes, yes it is. Um <laughs> applying modern who knowledge to this old episode very much puts it in a different perspective. Because this was also, episode six was the first time we got the name drop of the Time Lords. Yes. So that's a whole big other thing, and I'd say that nine and ten are the first time that they actually showed up and went, this is what our society is like. This is why the Doctor's (laughs) been on the run for eons. He broke the rules. (laughs) You want to talk about keeping a tight leash on society? Yeah, I mean, well... What what this all builds up to eventually is that the the warlord is he only enlisted the war chief's help because he wanted to form a galactic government. I like he wanted or dictators. He wanted to take control of the entire galaxy. What are we gonna do tonight, Pinky? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, he's totally the brain, and the security chief is Pinky. He's constantly screwing up. Really bad at controlling his security guards. Yeah, but Pinky and the Brain are friends. I mean, Ostensibly. This is, this is just the next <laughs> evolution. It's like these two people are butting heads the entire time. <laughs> and I was completely wrong in my prediction. I thought that the chief of security wanting the TARDIS would throw a wrench in people's plans, but no, not really. The war, war chief, warlord. The, the highest war chief is one. the time lord. Thank you. I can't keep him straight. The warlord showed up and basically put an end to all of that yeah um i mean he knows what the goal is yeah the war he, he the war chief is there because he thinks he's gonna game the system and like he, he they both think they're using the other person not um, so much yeah well when when it comes to like the overseeing body coming in they very much go by the wayside. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of what the Time Lords are at the end of this. I mean, what did you think of how the Time Lords are introduced? In, like, basically, the, like, halfway through, like, what was it, the second to last episode? They suddenly are like, they, they introduced the word Time Lord in episode six. In episode six, yeah, as this is the alien species, that's the Doctor is the same as the War Chief, da 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 Okay. But at the same time, this then at the then when they start to introduce them, that we get the doctor like in fear yeah. of them. Because I don't know if this is the first time we get the I stole a TARDIS and ran away story. But we do very much get that the doctor has not been hanging out on his home planet for a reason and he doesn't want to call the Time Lords until he can be reasonably assured of his own escape. This is, for the Doctor, the nuclear option. It yeah. has to be done. This is the only way to fix things. And because he is an upstanding moral person, he cannot leave these people in this predicament. Yeah, it's I mean, just, it's, it's incredibly cruel to everyone involved. So he brings in the Time Lords to his own potential great detriment. 
because these other people needed the help and he could not provide on his own. And that's the doctor. It was very much putting everyone else ahead of himself. Yeah, that's the doctor in a nutshell is I will throw myself on the sword. He finds a way out of it later. Um, Not quite. Well, I mean. That's still a rough ending. In a sense, yeah. Um, But he sacrificed. He knows that he's going to have to sacrifice himself. And we do get the first little glimpse at the, the, the Time Lord message box. Uh, <laughs> um, which I like that the way he's going to message the Time Lords is to meditate. And put some box. Put some little cardboard on the floor, basically. Meditate, and then it forms a box in stop motion. And that is, that's how you communicate with the Time Lords. What's in the box? What's in the box? A message that the Time Lords have to come and fix a problem that he can't yes, handle. Yes, I know. I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm aware. Um, I'm just reference central tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but I, here's what I'm curious. I'm curious what you think of the way that then the Doctor is forced to, once he gets to the Time, Time Lords, he gets back to what we know as Gallifrey, um, the way he sort of handles it from there, because he's sort of accepting of it. Like, he's not running. He tries to run. And they go through that whole thing where we're on the bottom of the ocean. This we're was in not space. the plan. This uh, was also not the plan. But once he gets captured, he's kind of like, what am I going to do? I feel like he knew from the start that he was more than likely to get captured, but put in the old college try anyway for getting away. Because it's, okay, we're going to try to run. What's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen is everyone here dies, but that's not likely. What's the worst likely thing to happen? They catch us, they send my companions home, and I have to deal with them. Great. What sucks is that this isn't even something he brought down upon himself. He just showed up in the wrong place at the wrong time with the TARDIS and got involved, as he does. Um, This is an interesting um, point that Ryan Wittallison brings up. We're talking about the war chief and why why, um, he, in the chat role, why he doesn't... uh, why the war chief doesn't die, regenerate? You've yeah, heard that? yeah. The it's a there's apparently a fan theory out there that the war chief is the master, an early version of the master. That's what that was. was the that idea I pitched last time. Yeah. I thought he was the master, and then he said, "Nope, shows up later." Okay, he's not according to like canon. Canon, but like it's a theory that like I guess you could uh, you could retcon uh, and validate. Or he could be on his final regeneration. Or yeah. they hadn't come up with the idea of multiple regenerations yet. <laughs> or they just, odds are that they had not set the rules. And for Doctor Who, a lot of the time, it's plot trumps continuity. Oh, absolutely. If there's something years and years and years ago that contradicts it that only select few people will remember, this was before the advent of the internet, then, yeah, we'll make rules that, well, this one specific little thing didn't apply. But for the most part, it covers it for the most part, is no longer good enough when you have fan-made wikis and everyone knows everything because it's at their fingertips with Googles. With Googles, <laughs> wow. But at the time, it worked. Yeah. Which generation are you on? The Googles! <laughs> I'm on the Googles! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you, Moffat. He might as well be. Anyway! Um, but Rains to, on to parade. introduce the, the Time Lords here, it really is shifting the entire show. Yeah. And this is what, in a way that doesn't happen, 
Doctor Who is different, I guess, from a lot of the ways that a lot of shows handle seasons. A good TV show has every season transforms the show or it should transform the show. Unless you're a crime drama. Yeah, well, (laughs) but the idea is it's doing the same thing in a different way that makes it gives it a either a different perspective or a new character take on it. It gives it's the same thing but somehow very different. Well, and the rotating cast is also what helps to shake it up. Yes, but you have and, different dynamics in the TARDIS, different people, different ways they'll mm-hmm. react. And if you've hit a certain point in history and you don't want to go there again, hey, just make up a planet. <laughs> have a good time. Yeah, and Barcelona. this is what this is what Troughton is doing at this point. Like he's had three seasons of more or less the same like He's battling monsters, the base under siege plot lines with a couple of variations yeah. from that. Um, there have been a few of those, haven't there? It was pretty much all of Troughton's stuff was base under siege. Goodness. Um, it's like I've, a lot of uh, like people who have written a lot essays about how much the Troughton years are, with just a couple of exceptions. Trench warfare. Nothing but base under siege. And this is sort of... The the war game's sort of a, a departure from that to a certain yeah. extent. There are episodes that have base under siege, but it's not the bulk of the storyline. Yeah, because they're not trying to defend anything. It's it's escape from New York. Yeah, it's not, oh, I'm trapped here. The monsters are coming to get us. We have to defeat the monsters, and then we escape, which is a lot of Trouton stories. I just keep thinking of the web of fear. Yeah, it, well, exactly. Um but the reason anyway, I bring that up yes. is that this putting introducing the Time Lords not only transforms what the day-to-day of the show is going to be in the life of the Doctor, but it transforms the entire world because he's no longer just this lone alien. Well, I mean, he will become a lone alien again down the road. Well, but, yeah. But he is now part of a bigger world that... It, it's this, it's like Marvel yeah. and the Avengers. These are it's, your people. You start out as just one guy traveling, and then you're part of a bigger universe. <laughs> um, but yeah. that's what's happening here is that they're introducing more to play with, more that the world can do. It's not just one-off monsters. This is all going to come together. Well, and you know, eventually the Time Lords are going to have to come back because they're the one that stuck him there in the first place. Yes. They can't just leave him there forever. We'd run out of episodes. <laughs> um, so. But what I thought was very interesting about the way we in, we, were, we meet the Time Lords is, and I think it very much informs the name that they gave them of Time Lord. They lord over all of time and space. They very much sit there like um, upon a throne and are, and act as sort of judge and Those jury. Lords. Um, yeah, and but their their main rule is no interference, which is the as as the Duchess says, I've been flouting the primary law of my people for centuries. Well the main rule of Star Trek is no interference either, but pfft, yeah. like that ever happens. Yeah. Whenever you well, have a no interference rule, it is quite literally there to be broken. That's the point. But here we're introduced to it, and then the doctor is immediately arguing with them. You can't just do that. Basically, but they do. It's interesting because they do interfere here. Although I, I guess the rule is like only if one of ours screwed up, then we go in and fix the problem. Well, and they got called in for this is shenanigans that have been going on in time and space, and they need to be repaired. And you are able to repair them. Ta da! 
It's not, well, this is developing on its own, so we're just going to leave it alone and watch. It's <laughs> someone already screwed it up. Clean up on aisle six. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, I like the doctor's little speech. He's like, give me a mind screen. I'll show you, which I love that technology. <laughs> Apple TV'd with the screen. I mean, honestly, <laughs> we're not far. Like, I know. In 2015, I'm aware. we're probably a decade away from that technology. Um, I can't wait. They're all going to have Halo-style neural implants. It'll be great. <laughs> um, but in that speech, he brings up all of the monsters that he's fought. He's fought the Yetis. He's fought the Cybermen. He brings up the Daleks the first time that the Time Lords as a whole will be introduced to the Daleks as a concept. And, and watching s- it as a modern fan, you're sitting there going, look how 1,000% right he is. You're going to wind up in <laughs> war with these things eventually. Or look how 100% wrong he is in that what if he doesn't – if they don't interfere at all, do the Daleks then – and this is something that like – We'll see how it. We'll have to see how it progresses as the show goes forward with the Daleks. But if the Time Lords don't ever get involved directly with the Daleks, do they ever become as powerful as they are? Good question. I mean, especially in Probably Modern Who, we not. Yeah, in Modern Who, we especially see the Daleks feed off the Doctor's mistakes often. Well, and I know we have that in Classic Who, especially when we get into Davros and uh, Four. I believe there's more than one episode of, oh, I learned from you doing this, or, oh, you made the (laughs) suggestion and I implemented it. Like, just quit talking, doctor. Just quit talking. I mean, if he had never shown up on Scarrow all those years ago, like, they would never have had the even concept of time travel. True, and he was the one that sabotaged his own TARDIS so they could go explore. Damn you, heart now! But... It's it's a great it, again. It's just one more drop, and like it's very interesting to see from the yeah. modern fans' perspective. Butterfly flapping its wings, etc. I will say though, in terms of, like the way that the uh, the Time Lords' costumes have evolved over time, <laughs> they I, grew giant collars. <laughs> I really prefer. Not that there isn't something to be said for the like the crazy loopy design. For the seal um, of Rassilon, yeah, which I, doesn't show up on camera, I'm realizing. <laughs> um, but I'm wearing it on my shirt, and you can see it on my shirt. Um, the High Council of Gallifrey, uh, Castlebot, Bator, whatever. There I can't is something it. to be said um, for that, but it's probably a little simpler to wear when they all look like clergymen than when they have the giant collars of doom where they have to turn their entire bodies to be able to look at something. I like this. Stunningly impractical. I like this costume a little more. I think the simplicity feels very... And again, it's just what decade... Which decade's version of futurism we're talking about? The Ironically, that version is very much more the modern version of futurism. Yeah. Simplified, very clean cut. Utilitarian. Not, yeah, the, the, the way that the uh, the sit rats, which is the um, the base model TARDISes, I mean, I've been told by a number of fans that it is a sit rat TARDIS That's backwards. not as much fun. Um, that is nearly as much fun. Yeah, um, but that those are very much... I, I would believe that a time machine would be designed like that by somebody today. It's very simple. The door just like pops out and you can walk in very cleanly. Um, it very doesn't have smooth edges. It's very Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Jobs. This is why we think it's evil, guys, because it is starting <laughs> to take over things. Let's be real. Look, we're not going to have Skynet. You're going to see Apple. 
Apple or Google. It's we already have Skynet. It's called Siri. Yeah. <laughs> you can walk into a Starbucks, yell, hey, Siri, and have immediate command of about, ooh, 65% of the phones in the joint. <laughs> Nobody's plugged in. Any- no, we're not getting down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> no, with the new update, it's not very secure. Anyway. <laughs> not going down there. I work um, in a Mac environment. Let's let's just talk. Uh, the, the doctor sort of... Farewell at this point. The the sad, inevitable, it had to come eventually. We had to lose, in some way or another, both Jamie, Zoe, and Patrick Troughton. I had Glenn Thomas on Twitter. Thanks for striking up the conversation. It was a good one. Tell me that Jamie's departure was very much like Donna's, except slightly less so. And I went, it's like Donna's? Oh, God. (laughs) And lo and behold, it was. And I was emotionally distraught for the rest of the night. Yeah, I mean... It the, didn't go well. The moment where, where the doctor asks, they'll forget me, won't they? Oh, he, he knows. Man. He knows at that moment, like, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to be. There's nothing he can do about it. I think it's... And it, there's a certain amount of, I think, maybe he always knew that, that it had to end yeah. that way. Well, but Jamie and Zoe trying so hard to stay with him and not wanting to be sent back and wanting to defend him. And, oh, man. I just wanted Jamie to go with Zoe <laughs> to the 21st century. I don't think that would have worked out too well for either of them. I think it would have been fun. It would have. But, you know, the Time Lords, they have to set everything right just so. But at least it's they'll remember the first adventure. And then nothing else. And not, their brains have been completely rewired. And if they ever remember you ever again, they'll explode. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, a little cleaner. <laughs> Still, not necessarily just as bad, but almost. This was absolutely heartbreaking to me. Yeah, well, they didn't have massive, like, time energy power infused into them yeah, through no. some insane storyline that it's. Yeah. But uh, one of my favorite character tropes is main character gets amnesia. And it's temporary and you work through it. And then at the end, things remember. And it, there's the emotional catharsis involved. And I love it. I love it when it plays out really well. This stops right in the middle of that. And yeah. it's like, not only do they not remember, but they're separate and there's probably no chance. So, um, yeah, you're done. Deal with it. I mean, and that's the worst part. I know there's the five doctors. I know they come back for cameos. I've I well, know yeah. about that much at least, but it's still just like no, <laughs> no. Well, it's you know it it's it's sort of a mixed ending because it's on one hand like you're like okay you got to live go live your normal life you aged a little bit but now you're back where you belong. Getting um, shot at. Yeah. Well, J- yeah, Jamie shows <laughs> up Jamie. and he's instantly, I thought for a, I swear I thought he was just going to get shot. Like, <laughs> there was a, there was a moment where he stands up and he's looking at the British soldier and I'm like, wait, what year is it? How fast is it? How long do you need to reload? Is Jamie about to get shot in the face the instant he gets back? No, he just like yells a war cry and it's like, you don't shoot him a Clinton in the back. And it's a terrible accent. And charges. Um, it's but like, I, but, yep, that's, but that's it's also, Jamie. It's also a little bit, it's, it feels a little, like, disappointing almost that the, any growth that they had, any, like, I've grown as a person, gone in an instant. They hit the hard reset. Yeah. And that that's also part of what really hurts. And the worst is the doctor remembers. 
Yeah. He will remember having this bond with these people, and he will remember that friendship, and they will not. Yeah. And that's just, ugh. Man, this, oh, this whole last episode was just impending dread, knowing they were going to show up, knowing it wasn't going to go well, knowing the trial wasn't going to go well. The whole thing was just like, I have to watch it. I don't want to watch it, but I have to watch it. It's like reading a book and then going into the movie and knowing at some point this character is going to die. Yeah. It's like watching Game of Thrones and hitting the ninth episode <laughs> of the season and going, oh, is it Red Wedding O'Clock? All right. Yeah, you're just like, oh, penultimate episode? This isn't going to mm, end well. Is it Blackwater time? Is it? <laughs> da, 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 da. No spoilers. Um, it's been out for over a year. Yeah, but no How spoilers. How have you not been spoiled yet? No spoilers. I didn't say just no spoilers. I just anyway. said Red Wedding O'Clock. Anyway, but the doctors. Farewell. And this one, I, this was not, again, not what I expected, mainly because I'm coming at it with a modern fan's yeah. knowledge. Um, I was, I, I'm like, are they gonna, are, again, are they gonna kill the doctor? Like, are, is, is, like, and in a sense, they're just they do. forcing a regeneration. Yeah. But yeah. Which, at the time, kind of is. they're forcing him to just change his face, but they, like, <laughs> It, when, with the knowledge of whatever generation is, they're effectively killing him. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's really messed up. They're like, it we're really, going And the fact to- that he is screaming and protesting the entire time is just like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay with any of this. I'm really not okay right now. Yeah, we are putting you for in a timeout on Earth, and we're going to change your face. Just again, and it just ends with him yelling no, no, no over and over. It's like, okay, wow, uh, no, no. There's a reason I was devastated after this episode. Just hit everything that I can't handle. But at the same time, it almost, the way he went out, it almost fits with Troughton's doctor. Because Troughton's doctor, much like Matt Smith's, is very childlike in a lot of ways. Like, he's very passionate and very, like, has a lot of, like, adult stuff that he deals with but like the way he behaves is very much like a child and so protesting like i don't want a new face i don't like that one that one's too fat that one's too skinny which by the way did anybody else when they brought up the too skinny i'm like that looks like david tennant i know that it's not at all intentional because this is way 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 before i don't even know if david tennant was alive Um, no david tennant's doctor was fifth David, he became the doctor because he was watching Fifth Doctor episodes on TV oh, yeah, yeah, and went, yeah. that's what I want to do. I, so he was not around at this point. Yeah, He's too young. I'm just, but like that drawing Sorry. of a pers- of a skinny person, I'm like, that looks like David Tennant and I love it. I was just waiting for him to ask to be ginger. I know it's a recent <laughs> development, but I'm like, this is the one time you could have actually put in that request. But no. <laughs> Though, did we notice that one of the drawings that came up was a black guy? That was interesting. It was a potential. There was a moment where I was like, oh, no, are they going to call that out? And they did it. They just made a different reference to, I think, that he was the He's fat too one. fat. Yeah. <laughs> and not with a PH. We could have had it all. <laughs> um, but, and so ultimately they don't show his face there. Um, and eventually he will regenerate in color. Uh, <laughs> but... I, again, very interesting just, like, the, the differences. Because they didn't think of regeneration as dying. That was how the first Doctor went out. 
But in this one, I don't think they thought like, oh, well, we're just changing his face. It was only later they're like, we should, that's a regeneration. Yeah, we kind of murdered him there. That was, uh, yeah, <laughs> that happened. Although without knowing too many details, like on the between years, I wonder if that's, that could have been the justification for like, uh, Capaldi being, 12 and not 13 or whatever or because this isn't a regeneration it's a forced face twist and i know that they've like long been saying the numbers is like seventh and sixth and all that stuff just throwing it out there no no i refuse to capitulate to moffat's ill-planned mental gymnastics no done. I award you no <laughs> points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> uh, so, so um, some other <laughs> some other fun points. Um, I want to thank uh, Penfold seventy four um, on Twitter, uh, who who uh, I think he's at uh, Len M Chast, uh, who who pointed out the the uh, the, the uh, actor playing the Teen Union soldier guarding the monocle guy. Is actually David Troughton. Yeah. Patrick's His son. son. Yeah. Well, some little uh, fun factoids. We had someone on uh, YouTube last episode pointing that out. We also had someone on YouTube asking what shipping was. And I think that's one of my <laughs> favorite comments on the episode. I recently had to explain shipping to somebody as well. And it's oh, really funny before. when people, like, can you get too deep into these worlds sometimes? The Cliff's Notes uh, for that one is, if you're watching... It's when you think that two characters should be romantically involved. You think they should be in a relationship, therefore it is shipping. There are so many layers to this, but that's the Cliff's Notes. I ship Zoe and Jamie. No. Ah, I could see it, but not necessarily. I kind of like the three as a platonic trio. I'm really, really going to miss this dynamic. Yeah. I miss that we actually had... The doctor as the smart, capricious one. And Zoe not only physically capable, but also intelligent. And Jamie's the one that runs off hot-headed and hits things until they die. That's I like that we had that dynamic because so often, and going into the future, we're going to see a lot of the girl is pretty and useless. And that's going to be incredibly frustrating. So it's nice to have this dynamic where they all fill in each other's weaknesses and are aware of each other's capabilities to the point where if they split the party, they know reasonably well how each other's going to act and they can trust them. I love that we have that. Yeah. I love that we have that relationship. And again, that's part of the reason it was so devastating, not only to see it fall apart, but to see two of the three members forget it. That just, ugh. We could have had it all. Yeah, I mean, that's. I feel the same way. It's a great dynamic. It's one that I hope that we can start to bring back in modern Who. That like, because I think that the Doctor single companion setup that we've had isn't working as well as yeah. Because like, I loved when Mickey or. uh, Team Curtis when we had all was, four of them. Yeah, and like that I was get wonderful. That four can be a little bit much. Like that can get a little bit. It we started have with to be, four, but it, that's true. That's very true. Uh, it, but it can be cumbersome, especially on modern lines for modern storylines where you need to have full character arcs for every character. And it yes, can get a but little bit. God forbid you develop two characters concurrently without them being in a romantic relationship. You don't have to sacrifice one person's character arc to fully develop another. Yes. If you're a good writer, you can keep tabs on multiple people at the same time and have them interplay. 
if you're a good writer. Yeah. But very, well, that's very much the way that, like, when Rose and the Doctor and Captain Jack are traveling, like, all, all uh, Jack, Captain Jack's uh, stuff aside, like, there was not really, I mean, and, okay, uh, granted. I, I don't really I'm, think you can aside the fact that he is openly and wonderfully pan. Yes. <laughs> it's a like, cornerstone. I, I like that dynamic, the way that they all can play off of each yes. other and bounce that way. And I love the way that, um, and yes, there's a romantic element there, but uh, for me, the dynamic between the Doctor, Amy, and Rory is fantastic because they all have slightly different perspectives on how to approach a situation. And that's why you need three people. Because when you have three people with very distinct viewpoints, very distinct approaches, it changes the game no yeah. matter what you're doing. And that's what I really hope we can get back to. It's what I really enjoyed about this, about the Troughton years. Did you have anything else that really stood out to you about Troughton's uh, seasons? That was mostly it, was the team TARDIS that we had and how strong the companions were. Even when we had Victoria and switched her out for Zoe, they were strong in different ways. And it's not like, oh, well, she's just replacing her or, oh, well, Victoria was better. She was great. I miss her. But having Zoe wasn't like it was a downgrade. And you get the feeling that if they'd been in the TARDIS at the same time, they'd play off each other wonderfully, too. <laughs> it was just a lot of very good overarching characters. Yeah. It was a great show, and I thought the War Games was a great wrap-up to it. It was very fun, very interesting, had just the right amount of commentary on the real world, but through a crazy sci-fi lens. It had just the, amount, the right amount of, like, Oh no, are we going to make it out of this? Yes, we are. And the introduction of the Time Lords, which, as you said, is a huge game changer Mm -hmm. in multiple ways. Yes, and uh, it's a great note for us to transition out of as we move, as we said, unfortunately, into this... uh, uh, We're uh, We're going on our own personal hiatus. Yeah. um, We'll be back. But thank you guys. I want to thank you guys... From me personally, so much for joining us for these the first two doctors. I hope that we'll find a time that we can all come back to it um, and do more. Do the color years. <laughs> um, because it's real nice when they say stuff's green and you can and see green. that it's green. Uh, yeah, so thank you guys so much for watching. Katie, uh, any farewell statements? Well... I know if Megan were here, she would also want to say thank you and see you next time because this is not goodbye. I refuse to let it be goodbye. <laughs> and Tari <laughs> we as well. We will be back. Yes, you can follow Tari on Twitter at Tari J, T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. You can follow Megan on Twitter at The Manguin, T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I want to say thank you for everyone who has talked with me over classics, whether we have agreed or had stimulating dissenting conversation. <laughs> It's been great talking with you guys. It's been great getting to know some of you. Thank you so much for watching. And, you know, if you're interested in keeping up with me, you can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Kiaxe. That's K-I-A-X-E-T. I am also on Star Wars Rebels and Arrow, both of which are coming back next week. And you guys can uh, follow me on Twitter at ThatZachWilson, T-H-A-T-Z-A-C-H-W-I-L-S-O-N. And there's a ton of shows that you can catch me on here at AfterBuzz. Agent Carter is such a good show. Grimm is coming back this week. Helix comes back next week. Uh, Better Call Saul is going to start up in February. Um, I'm doing Archer now, uh, which is back if you like some comedy. You and Matt Lieberman are just on everything, aren't you? Look, there's a lot of great television. You're on everything. And that's part of it is that, like, 
I, as much as I love doing these old classics, there's so much going on right now that there's only so many hours in the week to podcast about. Again, we're stepping um, out for shows that have an actual time frame that they need to keep up with. But yeah, guys, I'm Zach Wilson, and thanks for geeking out with us. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, see you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.